Ooh. So today we have on, we got Josh White on, and I asked him to come on today to talk to us a little bit about CrossFit. Um, CrossFit is something that I used to do probably about a decade ago, um, just kind of recreationally for the most part. I spent most of my time CrossFit, CrossFitting being injured. Um, so never like really excelled at any any level, but I've always found CrossFit to be quite intriguing um, from a sports performance aspect, a competition aspect. So I thought it'd be good to have Josh on today just to kind of pick his brain a little bit more into CrossFit, the history of CrossFit, kind of where CrossFit's, how it's grown, where where it is now, and just learning a little bit more about some programming. So. I'm just going to talk a little bit about Josh today, just go, go over some of his accolades. Josh, feel free to kind of jump in if I if I fuck something up here. Um, but Josh is a exercise physiologist through the uh, Canadian Society of Exercise Physiology. Um, he's a strength and conditioning. He's a he has a certificate through the NCS NSCA strength strength and conditioning. He's the founder of Alchemy Training, which is your kind of Olympic lifting, performance-based coaching service. Currently, he competes in Olympic lifting. He's an 81-kilogram athlete. He has a 283-kilogram total. I don't know what happened. I wrote one second. So he has a 130-kilogram uh, snatch, which is equivalent to 286 Point six pounds, and his clean and jerk is 153 kilograms, which is 337 pounds. Um, this man has ginormous quads, some of the quad biggest quads I've ever seen on a, an Olympic lifter. He could, he could probably do fairly well on a bodybuilding stage with these with these legs. Um, and in, in in the past, he used to compete in CrossFit. So just based on some of the information I found online, he. In 2016, he placed 27th in the Regional West. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And then, did you did you advance on? Is that kind of the top? Was did you advance onto another another stage, or was that kind of the end? Yeah. So in CrossFit at that time, there was three stages. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on, Matt. Of um, course. But if we're talking about CrossFit back in 20. From 2012, there was the inception of the CrossFit Open, which was a global online fitness competition that anybody could pay $20 and participate in. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the top so many people in whatever region they created got to compete in person at this regional competition. And then the top five from each of those regionals went to the CrossFit Games. Mm-hmm. When it first started, there was more regionals. Um, closer to 2016, they condensed the regions. So there used to be a Canada West region, and then it became the West Regional, which is what I competed in. And the West Regional was Northwestern United States and Western Canada combined. Mm-hmm. So at that regional in 2016, I placed 27th, not top five. So did not get to continue on. I just got to go back to Calgary after competing in Tacoma, Washington, and train again for next year, just like uh, Happy Gilmore. 365 days until next 
hockey season. <laughs> and how many how many people were in that kind of that division where you placed twenty seventh? Yeah, there's forty. Forty, okay. There'll be forty men and forty women, yeah. and then forty teams. So the year before, I actually went team with the gym that I was competing at to the West mm-hmm. Regional. Was that uh, that wasn't CrossFit Calgary, was it? It was. It okay. was CrossFit Calgary. <laughs> nice. Who was on your team? Oh, back then. We had, it was a team of six. So now they do teams of four. So we had a team of six. We had, it was myself, this guy named Ben Kazira. He ended up becoming more of a power lifter afterwards. He probably had the largest arms that I've ever seen on any human ever. I, I know uh, Ben. Yeah. He's massive, <laughs> ginormous pythons. I have no idea how he built those arms. He said he was in martial arts for 10 years prior to the CrossFit, but I don't see the, the correlation. <laughs> martial arts. Yeah, martial arts is mostly like punching, right? Yeah. And then we had another guy who's uh, actually one of my best friends still, Trent Barr. He was just a, a kid, kind of the same age as me at the time, around 21 years old, and an absolute freak of fitness. Still is a freak of fitness and doesn't even work out. Then we had on the women's side, we had Rochelle Diang. She's still doing fitness. Um, she's really small. She was like five foot one, but so strong, very good at gymnastics. We had, uh, another girl named Marnie. She was really new to CrossFit, but could do muscle ups and just was a really good athlete. And then we had Christina at the time, her last name was Verhagen. And now her name is Christina Seely. And she actually ended up going to the CrossFit games the following year as an individual Mm -hmm. and, She's been to the CrossFit Games on team. She's out living out in Vancouver right now. And she's been to the CrossFit Games on a team for twice now, I think, after her individual appearance. Mm-hmm. But I want to talk about an absolute freak of nature when it comes to recovering from volume, being able to do all the gymnastics skills and learn them immediately. Probably one of the best athletes that I've ever trained with or been in the presence of. But even before that, even before she started in the CrossFit, she was doing kettlebell training and then was like, you know what? I'll get into Olympic weightlifting. Spent a year Olympic weightlifting and won nationals. So mm-hmm. she's just touches a barbell and is instantly good at lifting it, mm-hmm. runs a kilometer, and then two weeks later runs a kilometer faster than anybody you've ever seen. Just absolute insane athlete. So roundabout way of me saying, our team was okay, had the components of a good team. Uh, just it never came to fruition at that time, but it was super fun. Yeah, I bet it was. Was what? What place did you guys get? Okay, right in the middle. There was thirty teams, so we came fifteenth. Okay, right in the middle. Nice, mm-hmm. cool. And then in two thousand seventeen, like you said, you kind of went back to the drawing board, um, and you placed fourteenth at the regional West. Yeah, that so was a. It, what did you do differently between those two years that kind of had that big jump in improvement? So in 2016, I'd say my training consisted of mostly doing random workouts, as many random workouts as I possibly could, with not so much rhyme or reason. So I would have been 21 at the time. My knowledge of strength and conditioning back then was fairly limited. However, I, I felt, I personally felt my knowledge of strength and conditioning was excellent at 21 years old with barely any experience. Yeah. But so, leading so you, into went, 20... you went from, sorry, go ahead. I went from the top of the Dunning-Kruger 
I don't explain that. To, explain that to me. <laughs> yeah. So the Dunning Kruger effect is uh, when you gain a little bit of knowledge, and then you think you know everything about something, and you can just utilize that to the best of your ability, but in fact, you actually know nothing. So that was me in 2016. And then I realized I knew absolutely nothing when I kept getting little injuries and didn't actually do that well at the CrossFit regionals in comparison to how fit I thought I was. So I went back to the drawing board and I worked a lot with the owner of CrossFit Calgary. His name was Brett Marshall. He is extremely well-versed in the area of strength and conditioning. He's also a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He was probably one of the best mentors I could have ever asked for. But I went up to him and I was like, hey, I want to keep pushing this. How do I do this a little bit smarter? And he gave me all the all the tips that he could come up with. I was scouring the inter- internet for as many tips as possible. At the time, I didn't have enough money to hire a coach. So it was my own coaching. So obviously, there's a lot of trial and error. But what it came down to is that I did a ton more aerobic conditioning. That was the biggest difference between 2016 and 2017. I was always a strong athlete in CrossFit, mm-hmm. but I was lacking that aerobic fitness base mm-hmm. that allows you to actually be good at CrossFit. I looked at CrossFit in 2016 as like a strength sport supplemented with cardio. But if you really look at CrossFit, it's more of an aerobic sport supplemented with insane amounts of strength. Mm-hmm. So it's like very, I guess the spectrum is, it's obviously very wide, but you need to be, you need to excel at both ends of that spectrum to do well. Yeah. It's pretty much, you need to be strong enough. And then once you're strong enough, you got to be fitter than everybody else in a Mm -hmm. cardiovascular sense Mm -hmm. and a cardiovascular capacity. Sorry. And with the, um, I guess with a good aerobic base, I imagine that would allow you to recover better be able to do a lot more work, have a lower resting heart rate, all those things, right? That would essentially allow you to kind of propel your fitness higher and higher throughout the the course of the season. Yeah. So when it comes to CrossFit, why we want to build an aerobic base is multifactorial. From the lowest level, just having a strong aerobic system will allow you to recover quicker, and more efficiently between training sessions. So you're going to be able to utilize the oxygen that you're inhaling, bring that oxygen, which becomes energy in your muscles and replenish your muscles. That's the easiest, probably the most surface level way of describing what your aerobic system is going to do post-exercise. Now in CrossFit, once you have the strength requirement, and I want to go deeper into that after I talk about this, yeah. that aerobic system allows you to recover in between intervals. So you do a lot of interval training in CrossFit. You also do a lot of strength training. So it allows you to recover in between sets with your strength training, which is just as beneficial in people who don't do CrossFit. So having a strong aerobic system will only allow you to do better in your strength training in the gym. Mm-hmm as well as it allows you to recover between reps in CrossFit. So if we look at the sport of CrossFit, let's take a sample workout like Fran. Fran is a very common workout. It's 21 pull-ups, 21 thrusters, 
15 pull-ups, 15 thrusters, nine pull-ups, nine thrusters, all completed for time. A thruster is a squat to a press in one motion. Yeah. Now, unless you're really elite, you're not going to be doing that. Actually, even when you're really elite, you're going to be taking some sort of rest period between movements. When you're really elite, the rest period is between the pull-up bar and the barbell. When you're sub-elite, your rest period is going to be within the movement. You're not probably not going to be able to do 15 pull-ups all in a row uh, in that round of 15. So there's going to be an inherent rest period built in there. An unscheduled rest period, but a rest period nonetheless. And having that strong aerobic system is going to allow you to get oxygen to those muscles so that you have the energy to complete the rest of your 15 pull-ups. Mm-hmm. So you can recover faster in between your intermittent sets. that was the biggest difference between the 2016 me and the 2017 me is I just had a much better cardiovascular system. Let's, let's talk about that then. Like how did you go about developing an aerobic base? Cause I know in the endurance world, it's like a lot of low, slow, continuous base kind of aerobic training, whether that's running, hiking, rowing, whatever cardio modality you want. But, for you, was that something that you followed or is there other modalities that you use as well? Right. So when it comes to building an aerobic base, we have to look at specificity. And that goes with when we're looking to do anything in fitness, we have to look at the needs first. We have to do a needs analysis. And if we look at CrossFit, we could do a ton of zone two running. It will still improve your cardiovascular fitness, but CrossFit is lower body and upper body. And if we're doing just running to build our aerobic base, well, then we're primarily working our only our lower body. We're getting the majority of those aerobic adaptations, like the, uh, sorry, the local peripheral adaptations. So like the adaptations that go on at a cellular level in your legs or anywhere in your body that where the muscles are working. Mm-hmm. It's, let me backtrack on that. <laughs> when we're trying to develop a aerobic base. We want to develop both peripheral adaptations and central adaptations. Mm-hmm. So central adaptations being the heart and our oxygen delivering capacity through our breathing and our lungs. We also want peripheral adaptations like in our local muscle tissue. So if we look at our legs mm-hmm. uh, during running, we're going to get greater mitochondrial density in our legs. So we're going to be able to utilize oxygen better in our legs to create energy. Um, And we're also going to be able to convert that energy into, uh, sorry, convert that oxygen into energy. I just said the same thing twice. Nonetheless, there's peripheral adaptations and there's central adaptations. When we're looking at developing an aerobic base for CrossFit, we need to realize that it is both an upper and lower body sport. So if we're just doing running to develop a zone two adaptation or an aerobic adaptation, then we're only getting that adaptation in our legs. So maybe doing something more like rowing where we have lower body and upper body included would be a better way to get those aerobic adaptations to both lower and upper body. But then we have to consider that rowing has a in a rest period built in 
And it's also very hard to hold a steady state with rowing because there's just so much power that has to be produced in order to keep rowing unless you get really efficient at rowing. Yeah. So that's when a tool like the air bike comes in where you have your arms moving and your legs moving at the same time so that you can get that aerobic adaptation both in your upper and lower body. And that will help transfer into CrossFit a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So instead of just running like typical zone two cardio enthusiasts think about, you can do the same thing with, you can do the same thing with rowing. You just have to get really efficient at it. You can do the same thing with biking. You can do the same thing with the skier. You can do the same thing with anything that's going to be continuous and not and, and doesn't require muscle contractions that will occlude or stop blood flow to the muscle. And this is where I want to get to the strength you need for CrossFit uh, versus having too much strength for CrossFit mm-hmm. or being strength biased. Well, that's, that's a good point because not many people actually talk about that and the fact that, like, let's say that you are, some people will try to, to train their aerobic system by doing some sort of kind of resistance-based workout, but we do have so much blood occlusion when we're performing repetitions of a squat or an overhead press or whatever exercise, and it doesn't create the same adaptations as the continuous-based um, aerobic trainer that you were talking to or referring to before with the, with the skier or with the sort of the airdyne, the skier, running, etc. Yeah, exactly. So it's really common, especially when I was training in 2017 since CrossFit is still so relatively new there wasn't a ton of resources around developing your aerobic base for CrossFit so we often did see and I did it myself doing air squats and doing push-ups because they feel really develop an aerobic base Mm -hmm. a more efficient use of my time would have just been spending 90 minutes on the air bike Yep. a more effective use of my time. The, the So I 100% agree with you, but the, the complicated thing with CrossFit is that you can, you can use a tool like the, the Airdyne to, to develop the aerobic base in terms of the, the upper body musculature and the lower body musculature, but then you still, in competition, they're going to have you do things like running, which has like a great skill component to it. They're going to have you do rowing. They're going to have you doing skier. They're going to have you doing so many different things. So it's like... You still have to do all those things regardless to be, to be right to excel. Right. Right. So a common, a common workout that we would do to develop an aerobic system in a CrossFit sense would be utilizing three pieces of equipment and rotating between them. So let's just say the skier, the biker and a rower. So three ergs, you can do two minutes on the skier, keep your heart rate in your zone two kind of zone or just at a talking pace most people are just doing it at a talking pace because rpe or radius perceived exertion is a great uh, tool to use if you don't have accurate heart rate zones if your Mm -hmm. rpe is around three five out of ten probably operating in your zone too you should be able to form full sentences so you can do that on the skier on the biker and on the rower and just rotate between the three for 90 minutes and now you're getting building skill in all those different exercises and learning how to actually hold zone two paces and move efficiently through those pieces of equipment. 
utilizing your upper and lower body. Gotcha. You cut out there for a little bit. Um, just give me one second here. So I'm gonna... Yep, no worries. Okay. We should be good. Okay. Now let's kind of go into... Actually, I want to ask you... So when you develop the that aerobic base, how much time were you spending per week kind of working that that system? How much time did you put towards it? Because in some communities, I'm just thinking about like a, a Dr. Peter Atia, who's very big on zone two conditioning for longevity. He's talking about doing about four hours a week for maximum kind of adaptations. Were you doing insane amounts like that? Or were you kind of doing smaller amounts so that you could still fit in some of the strength work that will discuss in a bit here so my training at the time probably had less than what i should have been doing i was doing maybe maybe 60 to 90 minutes per week now if we're looking at modern day top level crossfit athletes that understand developing their aerobic base these guys are doing three to five hours per week for sure mm-hmm if not more. Some people are utilizing it every single day for 60 minutes. At the end of their day, they just throw on a movie. They go easy on their biker or they go easy on their rower or whatever their tool they're using and develop their aerobic system. But that's their job. We don't all have, we all don't have five hours in the week to do zone two work um, when there's other priorities at play. Now, I think I had my priorities mixed up, right? As we come back to discussing the needs analysis is what we have to do with each athlete. I was already strong, but I just love doing strength work. So I spent probably too much time at that point doing strength work where I should have been developing my aerobic base. And that could have been a reason why I finished 14th and not fifth. Mm-hmm. So if we look at a lot of the if we look break down the events I did well in at that time, it would have often been the gymnastics workouts because I was a smaller guy. I'm five foot eight. I was like 178, 180 pounds competing against guys that are six foot two, 205 pounds. I was probably more like six foot, six foot two, 205 pounds. So mm-hmm. I had an advantage on the gymnastics movements. So I would do well in those. Yep. Or if we had lots of squatting because I got big legs. Um, I could do lots of squats and I was strong in the squat. So naturally in my own training, exercise, lots of squats <laughs> and lots of gymnastics movements because it would make me feel good. But if I had, okay. oh, I lost one you there. Sec- one second. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna, give me one more second. I didn't yeah, try. No it might, it might cut out for a second here as I switch yeah, connections. That's, that's fine. You there? I'm there. Okay. I just switched to 5G. Ooh. Here you go. So can you, what were you saying before yeah, we cut off there? Yeah, we're going to kind of like doing a needs analysis. Needs analysis. Uh, to so determine you're... your strengths and weaknesses. So I trained my strengths a lot mm-hmm. and probably didn't spend enough time on my weaknesses. And my weaknesses at the time was aerobic conditioning. Mm-hmm. Right, so, But obviously just by you doing that 60 to 90 minutes per week, you had a profound improvement in your aerobic system. Would you say? Mm-hmm. I, I would 100% say that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually tend to, just off of anecdote, off my my own training, I think I'm probably more of an endurance-based human. Somebody that 
responds really well to endurance training more so than uh, someone who's who leans more towards building muscle or a large amount of strength. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm poor, I'm probably built more to be an endurance endurance athlete. It's just the training that I've done in my youth and my adulthood that has allowed me to be semi-successful as a, as a power and strength athlete. Mm -hmm. So when you've incorporated more aerobic training, you just found that you've responded to it a lot better than you had to your kind of strength based anaerobic based work. Absolutely. Right. It was, it was night and day. I'm able to recover faster in between my intervals. Mm -hmm. I can now put max effort into my intervals and recover in half the time that I used to recover in, um, which I used to not even recover before my next interval. It was mm-hmm. night and day. And I think that's a, a really important piece for people when they look at their entire training program is to dedicate just a little bit of time to some zone two work and see if it makes a difference. Cause I can almost guarantee you that it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was doing my kind of endurance running stuff and I do it, there's periods of time where I'd spend months and months doing a lot of zone two work. Eventually I got to the point where I was beginning to plateau in terms of my ability to kind of make improvements to my, my pacing at my aerobic zone. So my goal over time was how can I, can I increase my running speed at a given heart rate? If I, if I begin to plateau, what I noticed was if I, I threw in a, a month or two of more higher intensity work, and then came back to the aerobic work, I would make, be able to make more improvements. But I, there was many times where I just keep on kind of spinning my tires and not making progress doing aerobic work. So I imagine, was that similar for you at all? Or Personally, no, because I didn't do enough zone two work to get to that point. I wasn't training for an ultra marathon. Yeah. Um, but that touches on a really good point. And it goes on doing too much zone two work. Yeah, it's 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 a comfortable pace, and it's very it's very easy to do it because you feel very productive doing it. It feels good when you're done, but you are missing that that I guess the big gears of your engine of your of your of your speed. You're you're missing the the speed training. How do you get faster at a lower heart rate if you're never running fast? Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not going to. You're never going to elicit the adaptations needed to be efficient when moving fast. You'll just be efficient at moving slow, um, which is interesting because we often hear about the eighty twenty rule. I don't know if you you're familiar with that. Yeah. But the eighty twenty rule is eighty percent of your time training or your aerobic system should be done in zone two. And then 20% of the time should be done training in zones four and five. If we look at a five zone model uh, and three being that kind of gray zone where it feels like you're working really hard, but you're not past the point of accumulating a ton of lactate or metabolic byproducts that will slow you down. In my experience, mm-hmm. that's where I started this is when I started training a little bit more endurance. It's like, I'm going to do 80-20. So I stuck to it. I was like, 80% of the time is going to be zone two, 20% of the time is going to be zone four and five. If we look at the sport of CrossFit, 0% of the time you're going to be in zone two. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at sport specificity, it's zone two is not specific to CrossFit. 
it's going to help you in the sport of CrossFit. But from a specific sport specificity standpoint, it has nothing to do with CrossFit. CrossFit is zone four and five. It's yeah. so, super threshold. The it's longest. Yeah. Pardon? It's race pace. Yeah. It's faster. Yeah. <laughs> it's faster than race pace. True. Yeah. Right. Like if we're comparing it to running, right. Yes. Or it'd be more similar to like running an 800 meter or running eh, a 1500. That's probably the pace you're, you're doing. You're running mid distance. It's pain. It's the pain cave. Yeah. Right? That's where it's where you're going to live. So the best CrossFitters are going to be able to train in the pain cave and recover from it mm -hmm. as much as possible. Some yeah. of their training leading into competition is going to look 100% zone 4 or 5 and 0% zone 2. And that's when we go back to what is zone 2 useful for in the sport of CrossFit? It's useful for really far away from competition. Because if you're going to compete in CrossFit, you better be good at CrossFit. If you're going to compete in CrossFit, zone 2 isn't going to make you better. It's mm -hmm. going to build, help you build, as we talked about right at the very beginning, it's going to help you build the base to be better at the sport of CrossFit. Zone two work will also not make you a better marathon runner. It will build the base so that you can become a better marathon runner. Marathons are run in zone three for the most part, zone three and then finishing closer to zone four because you have the heart rate creep. You have the creep of fatigue that's gonna push you super threshold, right? Mm -hmm. But unless you're leading into your marathon at race paces, you're never going to be able to run your race pace, right? So that's, that's where that 80-20 rule needs to be shifted because there's different points in the season mm -hmm. where eight, it's not 80, it's 40, 40, 60, you know, 60% of the time you're in zone four or five, 40% of the time you're in zone two. Zone two is awesome and it's really great for recovery as well. Mm -hmm. So when we look at developing like what I did, if we're going to go back to my career or my pursuit of CrossFit mm -hmm. is that my zone two work was often done as an active recovery day, right? It facilitates blood flow to the areas that need to recover. It's not hard enough to where you're, you're accumulating fatigue, right? It's actually, if done correctly, fatigue reducing, right? It, it uh, attenuates recovery. Mm -hmm. So that's what I typically use it as. If I was to go back in time, I would have been a little bit smarter with my periodization or how I structured my training throughout the year and brought more zone two training into the early stages of my base building work. So the, in the off season, then you'd, you'd make sure you had that, that base in place. And then as competition season started to roll around that's when you kind of shift away from that zone two, which would allow you to do more of the things that are more specific to CrossFit. Exactly. Gotcha. And I know right now you're coaching a couple of CrossFitters, some competitive based CrossFitters. Is that what you're doing with them? Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail around how you're programming for them in terms of off season versus in season? Yeah, exactly. So it's actually great to also think about the sport of CrossFit as a whole before we even talk about my individual athletes, because in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, I, I was injured in 2018, so didn't really pursue going into a higher level of CrossFit. But 
from 2015, 2016, 2017, and 2018, there was a boom, a CrossFit boom. That's like the most competitive period of CrossFit. We had a really structured season and we could watch athletes go from the open to the game seamlessly. From 2018 to kind of where we are today, it's been shaken up every single year. There hasn't been any specific structure of a CrossFit game season. We have had the introduction of things called sanctionals, which was kind of like regionals, but privately ran organizations. And then there was the reintroduction of regionals or sectionals, I think they're called now. So there's, I don't even know how it works anymore. It's, it's, it's so convoluted, right? So, So we also don't see the same intake of competitive athletes. That's kind of where I'm, I'm going with this. More people are doing CrossFit. In my experience, people are doing CrossFit competitively for themselves and more for a local competition level. And those are the people that I'm usually getting, right? It's people that just want to be better in a local competition. We have the same CrossFit Games athletes from 2015, 2016 that we still have today. We're not even really seeing new faces pop up. We're seeing a lot of the the same old guard is still at the top. For example, last year, Patrick Vellner is a guy. He's actually from Red Deer, Alberta. So right near us, mm-hmm. um, finished second. In 2016 or 2017, he finished second or third. So it's still the same people. He's 30, 32 now, 30, 32 years old. Mm-hmm. He's still the same guy competing near the top. So the influx of competitive athletes is just lower there's less population of them and in, do you do you think that at the top it's actually the best athletes or is it just because like you said it's it's become very convoluted it's not the structure changes every year like for some people just with the uncertain uncertainty they're like i don't want to like go through the process of trying to get to the games because there's a there's a possibility that i'm i might not make it even though i'm one of the best I I would argue that the cream always still rises to the top. Mm-hmm. We see that is the case with usually the top 10 athletes always being very similar people. And then we'll see the bottom half. That's where you see the, the programming matters. It's like, oh, I didn't get in because I suck at deadlifts. Well, then why did Matt Frazier win his fifth CrossFit Games? I bet you he was good at deadlifts. Like, mm-hmm. you're not the fittest. So is there, is there an alternative stream to CrossFit now, like a different name that people can enter that maybe is more lucrative? I'm just asking because I don't know anymore, but no, no. CrossFit's still going to be like your, your highest paid. Your highest paid. Okay. Yeah. And your most, most organized, I guess. In like Frazier's retired, right? Mm-hmm. And like Rich is retired. But there are still some of those kind of gatekeepers around. Like oh, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That, that, I guess that's like a little side tangent to go back to what I'm doing with my own athletes. So my, I want to put that into context because my own athletes are just people looking to perform well at a local competition. They have full-time jobs. They um, aren't full-time CrossFit Games athletes. When I was training for regionals, I worked at a CrossFit gym. I was the general manager of a CrossFit gym making not very much money, but that was okay. I was 21 years old and I would work out three times a day. 
Yeah. I was working out four to six hours a day and okay. that was my well, life. <laughs> instead of going into your CrossFit athletes, I want to know like what would be required to be like the amount of workload that's required to achieve the pinnacle of CrossFit. Cause I know when I, when I used to watch, when I was interested in CrossFit and when like kind of rich was at the top, I'd watch videos of him and he'd be doing the three a days, drinking the gallon of milk a day, eating pounds and pounds of bacon. Um, I imagine things have changed drastically from then until now in terms of what's required to be at the top. Cause like you said, just the, the competition itself has drastically changed. So can we go into a little bit more of the specifics of what would be required to reach the pinnacle of CrossFit if someone has the genetics and all that jazz? Perfect. Right. <clears throat> the best CrossFitter is going to be the person that can do the most amount of CrossFit and recover from it. Mm -hmm. Given they have a prerequisite level of strength and gymnastics skill. That's it. So, Cross, CrossFit Games, what does that look like now? Is it like a seven-day thing where they're doing two or three workouts a day? Like, what is that now? Yeah, five, call it four or five days uh, through a week where they need to get 13 events done, usually, between 12 and 15 events. Yeah. And these events vary from a one rep max, any of movement picket, any compound movement that they might test, mm -hmm. all the way to, I think they've done a marathon row. So we see the extreme ends of the spectrum. Okay. Now, if we need to be the best CrossFitter, there is so many skills that we need to be proficient at in order to actually get to the CrossFit Games. Right? There's prerequisite amounts of volume that you need to be able to complete and recover from in a weekend just to get to the CrossFit Games. Right. So mm -hmm. if we're going to develop the best CrossFit athlete, it's going to be the person that can execute all the skills at a very high intensity and recover from it. So the only way to recover, to have that recoverability, is to build your capacity to recover from volume or mm -hmm. to recover from training, which kind of goes back to that zone two work, right? That, that helps you build the base. But at a certain point, we have to also build our strength to the point where we can do all the weights that are prescribed and do them honestly quite easily. This is a very interesting topic that I learned about recently at a CSUP conference, actually. <laughs> at the, the conference <laughs> I went to for, for the Canadian Society of Exercise Physiology. And somebody did a study, and I'm good, probably going to butcher this because I'm just going this off the top of my head. But in summary, they did a study where they measured how strong somebody was and does this strength influence the amount of times they can contract the muscle without occluding the muscle. Okay. So it's like critical power. Does your strength influence your critical power? And typically critical power is measured on a bike, right? So at what point on a bike do you start accumulating metabolic byproducts that will slow you down? They did the same thing, but using a hand gripper. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. So a dynamo dynamometer, you squish, 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 squish. And at what point, how much intensity do you need to squeeze before it starts accumulating um, fatigue in your forearm? Mm-hmm. Okay. And they correlated this. I don't know what exercise they, they what strength correlation they did. Um, it had to be of some sort of upper body strength. Bench press or something. Yeah, bench press or so, something, some upper body strength movement. Now, this is where I'm butchering it because I don't know the study like the back of my hand. But I thought it was fascinating, right? Because what they found was that typical muscle endurance zone, you know, that, that you read about in the textbooks, the, the 15 plus reps per set, mm-hmm. right? That's going to make you better at muscle endurance. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they wanted to see if just increasing your one rep max will make you better at muscle endurance or will doing higher rep sets make you better at muscle endurance from make that hand grip dynamometer. What they found was that no matter what, your critical intensity for your hand grip was somewhere between 30 and 40% of your one rep max, which is kind of interesting because say the RX weight and CrossFit for a thruster, say the RX weight is a hundred pounds, mm-hmm. right? That's 30% ish of 300, 33% of 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you have a 300 pound thruster, in theory, you could do that hundred pound thruster indefinitely and never accumulate fatigue. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have a 275 pound thruster, well then that hundred pound thruster is going to accumulate fatigue and you're not going to be able to do it forever. If you have a 305 pound thruster, a 310, 315, 360 pound thruster, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. because there is that critical intensity point where you're going to be accumulating fatigue, right? So going back to developing the best CrossFitter of all time, we need to first see, are you strong enough to be the best CrossFitter of all time? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you strong enough to go to the CrossFit games? See if somebody has a 300 pound thruster and we know the RX weight is hundred pounds for the most part. Well, then we don't need to get them better at the thruster. And that could be, that's just an example is the thruster. We can do that with any exercise. Yeah. Um, can we get all of the RX weights to around 30% of your one rep max, right? So that you can keep moving forever mm-hmm. in theory. It's not going to happen. There's going to be a mechanical breakdown. When you get to that point, you have the strength base. You don't need to develop that. You just need to maintain it. And what we need to know about strength, great thing about training our muscles is that it only takes about what, a third of the work, not even not a third even, of the yeah. work. Yeah. The, to maintain our strength. So you build your strength base first, then you maintain it. And then the rest of that time has got to be spent building that aerobic system. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where that individual needs analysis comes in. Cause if you have someone coming from an endurance background, you're not going to be doing a ton of zone two, two work with them. They run tri- marathons, they do triathlons, they run Ironmans. They already have that base. Mm-hmm. As we said, it takes a fraction of the work to maintain what you've already built. So we're going to put that person through a pretty intensive strength program and just maintain their endurance. And the mm-hmm. vice versa, we have a strength athlete, somebody who's a national level power lifter, let's just say, mm-hmm. well, we're not going to get them to do power lifts to make them better at CrossFit. We're going to have to get them aerobic, right? And that's when we look at 
this is where the art of programming kind of comes and combines with the science, mm-hmm. right? Is we have dials, right, in our mm-hmm. programming. And we can only have 100%. So we can't have 100% of a powerlifting program, 100% of a CrossFit program, and 100% of a endurance program, right? We need to have, depending on the athlete, say we have an endurance athlete, well, maybe 70% of the program has to be a strength program and 10% has to be a endurance program. And I guess that would be 20% is a CrossFit program, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, how do we play with the dials? The cool thing is that 100%, say your baseline 100% is here. Say this is your baseline amount of work at 100%. It's at, I don't know, you can do three hours of work per week. Mm-hmm. Well, with time, that 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 100% becomes six hours per week, comes nine hours per week, mm-hmm. comes 10 hours per week because the body adapts, right? And that's mm-hmm. going to take years for this adaptation to occur. The mm-hmm. best CrossFitters have that largest amount of work capacity and they can play with their dials within that large amount of work capacity, mm-hmm. right? So we have, for example, I think this is a, this is a great example. Matt, Matt Frazier is a, he was a strength athlete. He was a national level Olympic weightlifter, even before he started doing CrossFit. He built up his work capacity to where maybe his 20% of Olympic lifting, maybe he did 20% of his training being Olympic lifting, was still more Olympic lifting than a lot of people. That, that His 20% of Olympic lifting could have been a 100% program for somebody else, right? He's doing so much Olympic lifting, but can recover from it, where somebody who's kind of newer or doesn't have that experience in Olympic lifting, if they were to put that much work into Olympic lifting, that would be a hundred percent of their ability to recover between training, mm-hmm. right? He was so good because he could, his work capacity was so large that he could recover from six to eight hours of training each day. Right? Mm-hmm. And that's what creates the best CrossFit games athletes. So if we're trying to program for a CrossFit games athlete, our main focus is building how much work, how much work capacity you have to recover from. And then within that work capacity domain, so we say we can do six hours per week. How do we divide that six hours to address your needs, right? That's where that needs analysis comes into play. And would you say that the, the work capacity, so the dial thing makes complete sense. The work capacity itself, so the ceiling of the amount of work that that person can perform over the course of a week, is that something that's just developed over the years or is there some type of specific training that's required to develop that higher and higher work capacity? Because I remember, this is many years ago, listened to a podcast. It was with one of the Fitzgeralds. I think it was James or, or Michael or someone. And he mentioned that for a lot of people that, that he trained, he would actually have them do a lot of bodybuilding-based work to build up that volume tolerance, to build up that work capacity so that the that they did go when they did go back to kind of more CrossFit based programming, they just had a higher ceiling. Hmm. That's interesting. That's a very good question. And I've thought about that a lot almost recently. Well, well recently, not almost recently. I've been thinking about that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I used to think that 
I, I think that was a, a belief that I also held. But then I took a step back and we look at the demands of CrossFit. Is CrossFit going to demand you to do a ton of bicep curls? Bicep curls, yes, are going to help you at elbow flexion, right? They're going to build your capacity to do elbow flexion. But given that we only have so much time throughout the week, would it be better to build up capacity in our pull-ups or in our bicep curls? It's going to be pull-ups, mm-hmm. right? Is it going to be as many reps as a bicep curl? Absolutely not. It won't be. Mm-hmm. But we need to build efficiency and movement and recover from that. So my take on that would be that we need to develop capacity in sport-specific movements. And if we need to develop further capacity than that, that's done in terms of our zone two training, right? That's an aerobic adaptation. We're not building aerobic adaptations with bicep curls, mm-hmm. right? Ever, never, not once. Are we going to build an aerobic adaptation with bicep curls? So I see where that comes from. And that's almost that um, muscle endurance training zone, you know, that 15 plus reps um, mm-hmm. to build up our muscle endurance versus building our one rep max to increase our muscle endurance. Whereas that's, that study was like, oh, you increase your one rep max, you have the ability to operate sub threshold at a higher weight. And when we're, when I'm like, obviously bodybuilding yesterday, it compromises bicep curls, but it also has, it includes pull-ups and and dips and push-ups and dumbbell presses and dumbbell rows so it's not like just purely isolation based Mm. training right i was just thinking like for instance let's say you have someone that's like completely new fresh out of the factory they want to become a crossfit athlete eventually i think there would be some utility in having them just like master those basic fundamental movements and that's kind of i think what you were also kind of referring to the movement proficiency the 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 efficiency of just the a pull-up a bodyweight squat a rdl a deadlift because the bodybuilders they also do those those lifts too yeah yeah sorry i guess i was thinking of your question a little bit differently i misunderstood it that's my bad no it's Uh, totally fine (laughs) so Yes, that's that's true. We need to develop basic movement patterns before we progress. That's mm-hmm. what has to happen. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about developing someone to be good at CrossFit, usually they are, I'm assuming, this is my assumption in, in our context, that they already have the basic movement patterns down. Right? They can already do a basic amount of pull-ups. They can already do dips. They can do all the basic bodybuilding movements because typically good CrossFitters do come from an athletic background um, where they have that base of fitness and say if we get someone fresh that has that base of fitness we are going to want to get them better at crossfit right it's sports specific specificity Mm -hmm. we need to develop capacity and butterfly pull-ups right that might only be 30 butterfly pull-ups which is like a crossfit specific kind of that fish flying around on the pull-up bar movement well you need to be efficient at that more than you need to be efficient <laughs> at a strict pull-up, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. be doing strict pull-ups very often in a, in a CrossFit comp- competition. Yeah. It's, it's going to be butterfly pull-ups. Mm-hmm. So I would rather spend more time developing capacity in the butterfly pull-up because you are still going to build, use your, use your lats. You're still going to use your biceps. You just need to be 
a little bit more efficient in that movement. And then if you if you need to maintain your strength, right? Because we're going back to those dials, right? Sports specificity versus uh, let's just say general strength training. Mm-hmm. Well, your general strength training is still going to be there. You're still going to do strict pull-ups. You're still going to do strict dips. You're still going to do uh, strict press and bench press. You're still going to do those, but it's going to be 10% of your training, right? Versus 60, 70% being, cro- you've never done CrossFit before? And 80% is going to be CrossFit, you know, like in, yeah, so in theory. Going back to your 2016 kind of off season when you're getting ready for the, the, the open and the regionals, in a way, there's probably some benefit to you just doing a ton of CrossFit based workouts because it was very specific and you probably trained hard. So obviously like you had some success with that, but if you were to redo things over, you might do things a little bit differently and kind of focus more on some other attributes that could kind of increase your, your, your top end or your threshold to be the best CrossFitter that year and then subsequent years. Yeah, exactly. Right. I would, I would have played with my dials a little bit smarter. I think that's the, how we, how we say that. And I think, um, I think the general, the general person, the general lay person, not in the CrossFit world, they think that CrossFit is just, we're doing a wad every day, but just you and I discussing, it sounds like there's a lot of actual, like more structured based programming to improve specific skills. And then depending on what, where we are in the year, that's going to dictate the amount of actual CrossFit workouts we're doing. Right. One second. Okay, let's start over. Okay. Um, you you said that CrossFit is a general general preparedness, and then it cut off. Yes. Sorry, my Siri started talking to me. Okay. Fucking what a bitch. Yeah, I absolutely such a bitch. Okay. So, well, actually, if the AI world is listening, Siri's great. AI's awesome. Don't kill me. China's awesome too. Yes. <laughs> Every, everything that could lead to negative consequences for myself is awesome. If I speak poorly about them. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, CrossFit is a general physical preparedness program. So it's basically exposing you to a variety of different stimuluses all the time so that if you encounter, let's say, anything, you have some capacity to do it, right? And we can think about that in terms of just like movements, right? If you need to flex your spine, you're not going to get hurt flexing your spine because you flexed your spine during a CrossFit workout. Um, Or you can think of it from like a energy zone perspective. If we need to run away from a bear, which you're never going to be able to do, but let's just say you're running away from a bear. You have the capacity to run away for like 50 meters instead of 10 meters. <laughs> or at least when you get caught, you won't be out of breath. So that's the, <laughs> that, that's what CrossFit is in its essence, right? CrossFit games is a totally different, uh, totally different animal. It's a sport, right? So CrossFit for general physical preparedness is, I, I think it's great, right? If someone needs to get an efficient one hour workout in each day. Um, they don't necessarily want to be the strongest person in the world. They don't want to be the most enduring person in the world. They don't have specific performance goals. And you just want to be healthy. And you execute a CrossFit workout a day with good intensity and proper movement mechanics. And you're not using your, you're not being 
uh, you know, you don't have cognitive dissonance or like, you're not like going into the, the workout and thinking you can do something when you actually can't, you're doing it pragmatically. I think it's, it's, and you have good coaching. Oh man, all those things put together, excellent fitness program for the general lay person. Mm-hmm. It's just, there's so many factors that make it a great workout program for the general lay person, right? Like that's assuming that you don't have, that you have movement capacity, that you can do a full range of motion squat well, that you can move your body through space. You have that baseline proprioception. Now the argument there, let's but to wrap that up on the lay person, the argument for the lay person is like, how do you develop proprioception if you've never been exposed to the movements? Well, then you could do that in a CrossFit. If you have a good CrossFit coach, mm-hmm. then you probably could learn that doing CrossFit. If you have a bad CrossFit coach, that's when you get hurt, right? Yeah. In um, good being versus bad being more so like attentive versus non-attentive because mm-hmm. there and can be and knowledgeable and mm-hmm. ability to make regressions and, and and whatnot is a lot to it but i agree with you yeah and, I, and like to go back on the time i think that was actually something that we when i was at crossfit calgary that we did quite well and i saw lots of success with lots of people and it was rare that someone who thought pragmatically about their fitness got hurt right because we had pretty good coaches and proper regressions. And I saw, I saw CrossFit in a positive light back then for the general lay person. I still do. Um, yeah. Now, if we look at CrossFit from the sport context, um, going back to your question, like, refresh, refresh. I think I got on a, t- a tangent. <laughs> We're talking about general my question. What was my question? Um, I honestly forget my question. Okay. I think you, can... you, you probably answered it. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna move on from this because I I feel like we did a we had a great discussion about CrossFit programming and I want to kind of just move on from that. So sure, yeah, absolutely. I want to kind of talk. I made reference mentioned before about like Rich Froning and his diet. It's like drinking a gallon of milk a day and bacon and all those things. I want to just at, talk to you a little bit um, how you view nutrition for 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 CrossFit athletes in terms of kind of optimizing recovery. Okay. So I'm, first of all, not a registered dietitian. (laughs) In no case, am I a nutritionist either? I have a good understanding of nutrition. I think that's, that's like a good thing to separate because I like to operate within my zone of expertise, which is strength and conditioning, getting people fitter, faster, stronger, and helping them attain their performance goals. And I can give nutrition recommendations, but however, when someone comes to me and they want specific nutrition help, I'm sending them to my network of you know, people that specialize in performance nutrition that have mm-hmm. four-year degrees in nutrition. You know, they, they can give a little bit more than what I can give. Mm-hmm. However, I do have thoughts on it and I'm going to give you those thoughts. What's, what's, yeah, <laughs> what's, that's great. I appreciate that. And it's nice that you can identify your, your limitations and, and whatnot. Um, but let's talk spe- specifically about you because you are you competed competitively in CrossFit, and like performance is something that you highly value, and you understand that nutrition plays a big role in that. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to performance, nutrition, carbs are king. That's what it comes to. Carbohydrates are going to be the king of all of your movement and even your thinking. Right? Carbs fuel your body. They're like the gasoline. They're they're what keep you going. You run out of carbs, like 
readily available carbs, then you're going to use glycogen or stored carbs from your muscles to provide energy until that runs out, right? And then it's going to transition. Then your body will transition the fats, right? Which is dietary fats, not fat on your body. It's the fat that you've consumed as a macronutrient and your body runs out of that. And then it's going to use protein, right? Protein is going to be the, the last thing it uses going through a process of gluconeogenesis and breaking back down into guess what? Sugar, which ends up being carbs. So at the end of the day, when it came to performance nutrition, I was ingesting the amount of carbs that I needed to sustain my training, right? And recover from my training. And that fluctuates given how much I was training or at what intensity I was training. So that was something I probably could have done better at when I was going through my competitive CrossFit journey was I should have been tracking my macros. I should have been tracking my macronutrients. How many carbs was I supposed to be eating? And I would go through ebbs and flows. But if I was trying to be at the top, like all these other guys are, they're dialed. They know that they're eating 430 grams of carbs per day. They're recording. How did I feel at the end of that day? How do I feel the next day? Um, do I feel fueled? Do I have enough energy to do my training for the day? Mm -hmm. Right. That that's number one. Number two is eating enough protein to allow for recovery. Right. So yes, we can, we need carbs to have energy to perform movements, but if our muscles are broken down, well, then we need protein to repair our muscles, right? So am I eating 0.7 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight each day, right? Don't need to eat more. Probably should avoid eating less than that. But on average, I want to eat 0.7, 1.2 grams per pound of body weight each day. And that's going to be enough protein to allow my muscles to recover from day to day. I almost think of carbs as like a energy source that kind of helps with systemic fatigue. Uh, that's not necessarily what it is doing, but that's how it feels. And systemic fatigue being like that general feeling of fatigue um, versus protein helping with that localized fatigue or that muscular fatigue. You know, like when your muscles are really sore, well, protein mm -hmm. is going to help you rebuild that muscle, right? Because your muscles are literally made of proteins. So mm -hmm. the only way to rebuild our muscle is by having available protein mm -hmm. and then fats fats are just our from a performance context fats are just for hormone regulation right those are for keeping it's like oil they're like the oil for your body right they're they're keeping things moving they're keeping things working as is you don't need too much because they're not gonna if you're not using them for energy but if you have too little then you're not going to be able to transport vitamins and minerals and all the things that attach to your to fat in your bloodstream and get them to where they need to go. And that's kind of like the basics of how I think about nutrition uh, in a performance context. I want to uh, dive. I want to dive. Those are all great pieces and I 100% agree with you. But let's talk in the specific context of a kind of a high level CrossFit athlete. Let's say that they're training three times a day. They have three kind of anaerobic based style workouts that day. Um, if you were coaching someone, what would you recommend that they're eating kind of post-workout in terms of the type of carbohydrates and the types of protein sources to ensure that they're actually uh, adequately prepared for the, the upcoming workouts that perfect. day? Yeah, that's perfect. So uh, we're going to actually want to look intro workout as well, especially for these guys. 
Yeah. We're looking at pre-workout. You're going to have to have some sort of quick carb. That's ideal, right? During your workout, you should have a little bit of protein, right? Just to keep yourself in an anabolic state. Um, I mean, it seems that you should have some protein during during your workout and also have very simple carbs. I'm thinking Kool-Aid, Tang, sugary drink. You could, <laughs> in theory, you could even have, if you like the taste of Coke, <laughs> you could have flat Coke. You could, anything with sugar in it. Um, you watch, you look at professional athletes, oftentimes they are drinking like flat carbonated drinks just cause they like the taste. Um, but it could be anything from that all the way to something that's more optimized. We're going to put that in quotations for, yeah, exactly. Optimized for performance, like a, uh, Gatorade, which might have a little bit more electrolytes, but that's. I don't, I don't know too much. I don't have too much knowledge on electrolytes. That's where we go into things. Um, and that depends totally on how much do you sweat. And that's mm-hmm. super individualized. And then we go post-workout. We want to have something. It depends on what session of the day it is. If it's your first session of the day, well, then you're going to still kind of want those quick carbs. You're going to want maybe like a banana, a little, if, if it sits well in your stomach, right? Some people can barely stomach food. So you're going to be drinking your carbs, right? You're going to be drinking more Gatorade. You're going to be drinking more flat pop or whatever sugar. You would just dissolve sugar in water. Drink that, right? That's carbohydrates. <laughs> that's, that's that's pretty much tang. So Yeah, yeah, that's tang. That's pretty much Gatorade is too. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you're going to want post-workout, you're going to want a serve, some protein, right? And we're going to want to probably have a lower level of fats in your earlier sessions because slats are going to, well, slats. Fats are going to slow down your ability to digest the carbohydrates. It's just going to slow down digestion. So we want to get your muscles fueled with sugar as fast as possible. And that's going to be just having a moderate amount of protein, like a smaller, small, moderate amount of protein and a good amount of carbohydrates. And now that carbohydrates is going to be super individualized based on how intense that workout was, how long that workout was. Um, and how you feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Great information. I want to move on to now because CrossFit, as you know, is like the amount of work you need to be able to recover from it. Are you implementing any, any specific recovery modalities with yourself and with athletes to improve their ability to get back to baseline? And that could be massage. That could be yoga that could be cryotherapy that could be cold therapy what are your kind of thoughts on all those kind of different modalities all the my thoughts on all of the extra modalities like cryotherapy massage even chiro physio all of oh, physio and chiro are more re- injury rehabilitation but let's think of like massage massage guns um cryotherapy cold water immersion hot cold those are accessories our staple for recovery is nutrition. Well, one, sleep, right? Are you sleeping enough? Are you getting quality sleep? Yes. Well, how's your nutrition? Are you eating enough to sustain your performance? Are you getting enough protein? Are you getting enough carbs? Yes. Okay, do you have time to de-stress? Yes. Okay, sweet. Can you implement all of these other modalities to supplement your sleep? your nutrition and your de-stressing? 
Okay, yes. All right, so now we've gotten to where we can actually use all of these passive modalities for recovery effectively. Mm -hmm. You can do all the cold water dunks in the world. And it, if you're not sleeping enough, they're doing, they're probably causing you more harm than good. It's just increasing your stress. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> or even, let's go to the opposite side of thing, hot, right? If you're not sleeping, if you're not eating, if you're not de-stressing and you're going to add this stress of being in a sauna for 20 minutes mm-hmm. where you're literally overheating and causing yourself stress on purpose, even though it feels great, right? I like it. Um, but it's taking away from other aspects of your life. It's you're now so fatigued after your sauna session that you can't go back to work. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. I don't, know a, I don't know if this is the best, this is the best recovery tool for you. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think nowadays most people are doing themselves a big disservice by using the sauna after post-workout because it's essentially extending the workout period where you're not getting in nutrients. You're further depleting yourself of, hydration electrolytes so i like to kind of keep that away from the workouts to be honest with you and most people they're not nailing the basics like you said the sleep the the nutrition the de-stressing so it's like why i think that's the i think that's the why is the most common word that we miss in training why right why mm-hmm. it's like, okay so you're doing bicep curls Oh, hold on. Siri, sis to me. Is Siri on your computer? Siri's talking to me again. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. This is okay, the record. But... This is the record for Siri inter- interruptions. I must, I must say, hey, blank, often. Yeah, I don't want to say it. because <laughs> Pop up again. But... <laughs> But we, we think about training, the why, right? Why are you doing something? I think we go all the way back to the beginning of the conversation and we can say, why did I need to do more zone two work? <laughs> well, because I sucked at it. Why do I need to improve my work capacity? <laughs> well, because I couldn't do enough work to be good at CrossFit. So I need to improve my work capacity. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing bo- uh, bodybuilding style movements to get better at CrossFit? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not. I shouldn't be. Maybe I shouldn't be, or maybe I should be. Maybe my Maybe I just I'm not that good at pull ups, and I need to get better at pull ups. So then I'm going to do pull ups in my strict strict pull ups. I need to get better at vertical pulling strength. That's a good why, right? The why mm-hmm. to just build capacity for CrossFit using bodybuilding movements. I don't know if those like I don't know 100 if those whys overlap and, and are actually useful. I think most people are lacking though. They don't ask the why at all. So to me, if someone has a why that's somewhat rational, then I can get behind it. But if they don't have a why at all, then it's like, we can't even, we can't even talk about it. Absolutely. This is what we see. If we're talking about the fitness snobs podcast, if we're Mm going to be fitness snobs about it, (laughs) (laughs) we need to know. We need to know the why. And if we're snobbish, sometimes we're even going to break down that why. And some people's feelings might get hurt in that process. Some people's feelings might get hurt. And I, (laughs) I often look at this, I look at this and this is, 
a very common thing in the industry that both you and I work in, right? And it's going to be, why do we do a certain modality with someone when their time could be best spent somewhere else? You know, that, that's a pretty common, common why. Now, if somebody's goal is to get better at, I don't know, let's just say, let's say something really random. Um, just because I've seen these popping up recently. Spin studio. Uh, spin studios. So that's actually a good example because this kind of doesn't relate to anything. What is it? Sorry. A spin studio. Okay. Right? Yeah. If someone's goal is to get better at doing their spin classes and have more endurance for their spin classes, well then as a fitness professional, you should be telling them to do more spin classes. Right. And if they're starting to get like little, they say, Oh, I can't get enough drive through the pedals. You know, like, I can't push down hard enough. Like I'm not, I feel like I can't get through that, that high resistance spin on the bike. <laughs> well, it's like, okay, well, we're going to improve your leg strength, right? <laughs> like there's, there's, there's things that we need to be looking at. It's like, why? Like, is the person's goal to lose weight and build muscle? Well then what are we going to do with them? Well, probably mostly bodybuilding, right? They want to build muscle, mm-hmm. get them to do bodybuilding. They want to lose weight. Well, you're going to help them learn about being at a caloric deficit, right? Let's, they, let's, hmm? let's give them, let's give them the best tool for the job that they're, they want to achieve. Exactly. Right. And then as you become more versed in your experience, I'm not saying that you have to have, um, degrees or you have to have anything outside of experience, but as you get more experience, you should be better at identifying the best tools to use for the why. And if you're just, if your clients or your athletes aren't seeing progress, well then there's something with how you break down the why that's lacking. If we're talking about being a fitness snob, right? You should be snobbish about getting people results. 100% agree. Yeah. And I think that's, as a trainer, like that's going to be one of the best marketing tools you have for yourself as getting results for your clients. Cause that's, what's going to get people talking about you, get referrals and, and whatnot. And then, and like you said, like that's kind of for a lot of folks in the industry, that's, that's what's missing, but that's, that wasn't what I wanted to get into with this podcast, but definitely a good little side tangent to have. And I, I'm going to, I want to wrap things up here because I, I feel like we got a lot of great information and I want to thank you for coming on today and sharing with us your expertise. It's been great chatting with you. Um, what is, can you give us a little bit of information on where people can reach you for coaching, if they have questions, those sorts of things? Absolutely. So I'm most prominent on Instagram uh, at joshuawhite.pt. Um, it's not physiotherapist, it's joshuawhite.personaltrainer. But I'm more of a performance coach. <laughs> if, we, if we're to really break it down, I'm I'm someone that help, has helps people with specific goals reach them, and these are specific, usually specific performance goals. Right? You want to be able to do a 400 pound deadlift and run a 5k under 25 minutes. Then you come to me, and I help you achieve that specific performance goal by changing the dials in your training and making hyper specific, uh, hyper individualized programs to you. Because you are not somebody else. If you have any questions, you can always email me at josh at alchemytraining.ca. And 
or just send me a DM on Instagram. Those are probably the two easiest places to reach me. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for coming on. It was a pleasure speaking with you and I hope you have a great rest of your 2023. Yeah, perfect. I'll see you uh, around the gym, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, man.